0: John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and let's take a look at this encounter that happened between Jesus and a man sitting on his mat, beginning with verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, he took up his mat and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your mat and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him, the man, in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being together today. I pray that you might speak your word clearly. May you alone receive all the credit and attention and glory. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, together we all say amen. 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 Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, the setting is Jerusalem. We're not told necessarily what feast it was, but it's during a feast of the Jews, so we know that the city is packed and full. Jesus went there, always at work, always with purposeful intent. We see in verse 2 that more specifically, he went to a place in Jerusalem, to a large pool and pool house with five porches near the sheep gate entrance of the city. And literally, this was a gate that the shepherds would come in and out of the city, bringing in their large herds of sheep uh, into market and back out. It's walled up today, but in Jesus' time, it was in full use with multitudes of people coming and going it would have been a very noisy place with noisy crowds and noisy sheep, lots of smells and sounds and activity and, and busyness. Jesus is on mission as he chooses this location and this time frame and this particular pool. In Hebrew, this pool was called Bethesda, meaning house of mercy. Would would you say that with me this morning? House of mercy. House of mercy. It's a truly fitting name for this pool house. As mentioned, the verses go on in verses 3 and 4. This was a huge pool house. It had five large porches. And John tells us that a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, those with other infirmities, would lay on them on these porches and wait for the pool to be stirred. People would enter the waters and find healing. It's a cool side note to mention that archaeologists have discovered this pool near the Sheep Gate and they found that it was fed by underground springs. There had a, it had a rhythm, a pattern, if you will, of erupting at different times and, and thus it would disperse fresh sediment from way down deep in the spring. It apparently had medicinal effects on those who, who bathed in these springs. Um, as always is encouraged in this church. I, I just love how it is. Research for yourself uh, in the Word of God. God stands ready to reveal beautiful things to you. Um, and in this particular verse, in verse four, scholars tend to have different opinions and disagree. Was it indeed an actual angel that stirred the waters? Or was it a local belief system that had convinced people it was stirred by an angel? Because as we all know, springs can be very deep and very mysterious. Springs are powerful. Uh, If you've ever been to North Florida and jumped in a spring, you know. Uh, They are crazy beautiful, and some of them are crazy deep. And it's understandable why mystery is connected to Bethesda in regards to a pool that happens to be fed by underground uh, springs with sediment coming up. Uh, But of course, the pool's functioning is not really the main point of what is happening here. In verse 5, we see that Jesus has come to this specific place near a specific gate alongside a specific pool and pool house, and he approaches a specific man. A certain man who had been paralyzed and had been in a desperate condition for 38 years. Boy, almost four decades this man had been in this condition and this place by the pool. John describes this man and the huge crowds alongside him with all kinds of needs and ailments with this really powerful Greek word that that just kind of sums up what's going on. Asthenia, it means without strength or power. Would you say that phrase with me? Without strength or power. Now, have you caught what's going on? Did you catch that? People without strength or power or hope to bring change or remedy to themselves are gathered at Bethesda, a house of mercy. People without the power to change are looking for mercy and hoping indeed that something or someone will show up. I love this. Jesus is on a mission. Uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, open your eyes, sit up straight, maybe elbow the person next to you gently, because this is a powerful reminder for 2023 as we begin this new year. Jesus is still in the business of coming to places and to crowds of people, people like you and people like me, who are without power, without hope, to be able to change ourselves, and he offers remedy and life and hope and newness. He's still on mission. He did it then, and he's still doing it now. In verse 6, we're told that Jesus saw this man lying there, and he knew he had, as John says, been in that condition for a long time. I love that revelation truth there, that condition. Uh, Jesus indeed knew that he was paralyzed physically. There he was lying on that same mat. Who knows how long that mat had been there, how long he had used it. But this man, Jesus knew, was also paralyzed in other ways as well. Abandoned by family and friends with no one to help him, paralyzed in his belief that any change could ever really come to his life, maybe even holding on by a thread that he himself could find mercy in this house of mercy. He had seen others experience it. Perhaps uh, he wondered if it could ever happen for him. So out of all the people he could choose to speak to and heal that day, Jesus chooses this man, this man sitting on the mat, and paralyzed. I want to pause here a moment because Jesus is about to ask a question. Um, I personally believe it's one of the most powerful questions he could ever ask a person. When Jesus asks a question, we should really pay close attention. Our responses matter to his questions, and, and they can play a huge role in helping us see and B, the proof that redemption and renewal are possible. Jesus asked some pretty powerful questions. Who do you say that I am? Why did you doubt? Why are you so afraid? Do you love me? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and he is in me? Even in the final minutes of his life, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Mm. As we were reminded beautifully last week by Pastor Greg and really the whole month of different pastors, speakers, elders, just beautiful on the coming of the divine, the arrival of this promised one. Jesus, although he could have grasped the power of heaven and lived on earth with it, where he walked around snapping his fingers and removing all difficulty and all suffering and anyone who spoke against him, he, he did not consider it something to be grasped. He, he willingly allowed that part to not be grasped. He was still fully God and fully man, and, and yet he chose to experience fully what you and I live through. We see that in the questions he asks, the full experience of humanity expressed. It helps us be reminded that he is our faithful and compassionate high priest. He is our brother. He is our friend. He is able to understand and sympathize with our weaknesses. I think it also teaches us here that if Jesus himself asked questions, he's not offended by our questions. Amen? And I just love this series that is getting ready to kick off uh, next week. Bring your big and tough and hard and uneasy questions to the Lord. He, he does have answers. He does have remedy Perhaps part of you being paralyzed in some areas of your walk with the Lord have been because you've always wondered the answers to some tough questions, and I just want to encourage you, it's okay to ask questions. The Lord wants you to come and find that remedy and find that peace and be able to work through, and even sometimes where the answer may not always seem clear-cut and easy, the Lord is in the midst of the asking and in the midst of the answering. And I'm so glad that Jesus taught us it's okay to ask questions and and each and everything that Jesus does and each and every question that Jesus asked, you can always count that it was done with purpose and with intent. So sometimes go through the scriptures and look at the the many questions He asked people. They're powerful. So today's question is a powerful one. He's in the house of mercy, he's surrounded by a multitude of people who are without hope, without power to change, and he looks the man in the eye and says, do you want to be made well? At first glance, it uh, might seem like Jesus is using sarcasm or maybe even mockery. It seems out of place. Jesus already knows the answer, but he asks the question out loud so that this man might verbalize his need. I would offer up to you that in that moment, in that journey of 38 years, surrounded by suffering, some people being healed, others not yet, in that moment, literally, Jesus was calling that man out on his mat. He called him out on the mat. It's time to get honest. It's time to get authentic and real. Jesus knew that this man had grown accustomed to sitting on his mat to seeing life from a skewed perspective, his, his value, his purpose, his role in life, and to the pattern of being on the edge of hope And the edge of change, I mean, it's right there within reach, but never experiencing it as a reality. And when you live like that for 38 years, it begins to define your character, your mindset. It affects your theology, your belief of what life is all about. So Jesus wasn't just asking about his physical need. Man, he was revealing the motives, the intents of the heart. He was going down deep. Do you really want to be made well? The fuller meaning here in the Greek is lovely. It's really, do you want to be made whole? Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Now this man may not have fully understood the depths of the question right away, but Jesus sure did. He was going down into the depths of a downcast soul and asking, would you like to be made well? Everything will change if you're made well. Wholeness is not something that just comes and goes without leaving its mark. It's gonna change the way you think. It's it's gonna change your relationships. Your perspective on life is gonna be turned upside down. Do you truly want to be made well, to be made whole? In verse seven, we can see that Just like most of us, um, the man had some limited understanding. It's revealed. He offers an excuse as an answer to Jesus's question first that people kept coming in front of him. Um, Perhaps he wasn't a man that was just full of laziness. It, It seems that he tried. He said, with his own words, While I am coming towards the pool, someone else always steps in. I'm too slow. Perhaps this man thought, This kind man who's speaking to me is going to help me finally be first place. He's going to help me get into the pool. Well, indeed, Jesus does help him. The one who had all authority, the one who still has all authority, the king of kings, he speaks. And in verse 8, he says uh, this simple and yet powerful command. Get up, pick up your mat. And walk. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Simple words to say, pretty simple instructions or commands to follow, but it would have been crazy talk to others who were laying nearby, sitting there without strength or power, knowing full well this neighbor of theirs who had been sitting alongside them 38 years. Get up, you who for 38 years haven't been able to do this simple task under your own power that so many other people take for granted. Get up. Pick up your mat, that same mat that has defined you for so long, that mat that has your scent on it and your story is attached to it and it's affected your mindset, that mat, pick it up and walk. Use those new legs. Walk out this new work that has taken place within you. Mm, It's pretty awesome stuff. It's powerful. Verse 9, we're told as soon as Jesus finished his sentence or perhaps even halfway through his words that he was speaking, immediately, we're told, immediately the man was made well. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, immediately? Make sure they're awake. Look them right in the eye and say, immediately. It's important to understand the work of Christ in the heart of a man or a woman. It is indeed immediate. Immediately the man was made well. He picked up his mat and he walked. It seemed to be this simultaneous almost, if you will, response of obedience to Jesus' words. He trusted Jesus immediately and he responded in obedience. No hesitation this time. No excuses this time. No sluggish action. No barely getting to the pool. He just did it. It, He recognized the authority that was speaking and he responded in turn. Oh, I pray in 2023, this will describe my life. I I pray that it will describe your life, that when Jesus speaks, we do that when Jesus says to do something, we do it, amen? No sluggish response, no arguing with excuses, full trust, even in times of great distress, full response to the authority of Jesus Christ. An incredibly beautiful and powerful and healthy and right way to live. At the end of verse nine, uh, Jesus or excuse me, John kind of slides in this, this phrase. And that day was the Sabbath. I love how John does this. I find humor in it as I've spent time in, in the passage. I believe this is what I would describe as a by-the-way statement. And what I mean by by-the-way statement, we've all been there. Maybe we've made them. Maybe we've had them said to us. You know, it's, it's kind of like when, when Sherry, my wife, was trying to get us to not eat so much red meat, and I use the word us loosely, trying to get me to not eat so much red meat, and I remember her saying for the first time years ago, so you know that spaghetti and meat sauce that we just got done eating? Yeah, the one that you, you ate four plates of, and you finished it all up, and you even licked the plate? Yeah, just want you to know, by the way, that was turkey. <laughs> turkey? Cursed it be! How could this be Turkey? My whole mind was blown, and I had to back up. Well, I wasn't really that good. Now I eat turkey bacon and turkey sausage and turkey chips, everything. I just eat turkey. It's healthier. I get it. You know, it's a by-the-way statement. Uh, By the way, this phone call this past 45 minutes, it's been recorded the whole time. Oh, okay. Uh, The party you thought you were coming to, by the way, uh, it's an intervention. We need you to sit down we got some honest things we need to talk to you about. It's beyond a gotcha moment. It's something that was done on purpose. As we've discussed, Jesus was fully aware of all the details of this healing done on this particular day. I think John enjoyed writing this. By the way, this incredible event that just happened, it took place on the Sabbath. Jesus knew the strong reactions that the religious leaders of the Jews would have, he's starting to clearly draw the line of distinction between the entrapment of empty religion and the freedom that is found in knowing Christ. And I just want to share that with you, friends. I know most of us know this truth sitting here today, but it's so powerful and good to remind the entrapment of empty religion is a completely different beast than the freedom found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The two will never meet. They are varied. They may run parallel, and some may try to convince this one is just like the other. But Jesus is trying to draw the line very clearly. No, no. There's just no difference uh, between, there is no similarity between what man offers in his religious attempts and what I, what I as Christ offer to the human heart and the human condition. Maybe some of us who are younger in the room would say, this was a moment that Jesus dropped the mic. He just dropped it. said, there you go. He not only called out the paralyzed man on his mat, but he also called out the closed-minded religious leaders on their mats of their endless rules and rituals that were keeping people and hindering them from coming in freedom to the Lord. I like what Pastor David Jeremiah says about Jesus' wisdom in verse 9. Wisdom knows when to avoid a controversy. It also knows when to cause one. So Jesus, on purpose, by the way, did it on the Sabbath on purpose so that he could indeed cause controversy and get the train of his mission really on track and very public. So this is why we see in verses 10 through 12 this exchange that takes place Between the healed man carrying around his mat and most likely the religious, local religious leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, it it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. A part of Jewish law was that on the Sabbath, they were instructed, you shall carry no burden. You can't do anything that looks like work. So here he is carrying his mat on all days, the Sabbath. Oh, Can you imagine being that blind to what God has done to be so heart-attached to your ritual that you miss the miracle? Mm. They were so focused on their law that they missed it. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe even some church folks? Unfortunately, I can tell you uh, I have youth pastor for 12 years and a senior pastor for almost 14 years. Met some interesting folks over those years. I really want to say this. Most of them were beautiful, loving, awesome people. But I met a few who, believe it or not, would stand right there and look a former paralyzed man right in the eye and say, what are you doing wearing that? What are you doing carrying this around? Don't you know how we do things around here? I remember one state that I was youth pastoring in. My wife and I were so excited what God was doing. And he was growing and expanding our youth ministry. And one of the ways he was growing it was he was bringing people from, from all kinds of different backgrounds, kids from different cultures, skin color, uh, different socioeconomic status, and he was putting together this awesome, messy, beautiful, hard work youth ministry where he was just getting all the glory, and he was doing awesome things. We had Native Americans coming, and, and black and white students coming and Hispanic students. We had those from the really rich part of town and even those from across the tracks on the other side of town showing up every Thursday night, and it was just awesome. I was a little younger, so I hadn't grown accustomed to law followers who crush others, but boy, did I meet one a few weeks in. Here I am walking two feet off the ground, so excited about what God is doing. But boy, it was this man's attempt and his family to pull me back down to earth very quickly with statements like this. You know what? And by the way, he was a a white man. My kids have to deal with those kids all day long at school. They shouldn't have to come to church and deal with it here. Wow. Wow even went so far to bring it up in a board meeting, an elder-type meeting in the church where I was serving. This is an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm. May the Lord keep me, may the Lord keep us, hundreds of miles away from ever becoming that guy, that girl who is so attached to law and really, if you would appeal peel back what's really going on, attached to our own insecurities and our own fears and our own arrogance and our own very good practice at hiding our sin down deep, thank you very much, so that we become an arrogant, self-appointed religious leader who has the freedom, we think, to put down others and to look a transformed person in the eye and say, what are you doing? How dare you walk around like that? Oh, Lord, keep us from that ever. Amen? Amen. Amen? But we see it happened then, and it can certainly still happen now. They were so tunnel visioned, so locked in, so insecure. Their law was their king. I love the answer that the healed man tells or says in verse 11. It's just simple. Do you see it there? The one who made me well told me to carry it, he told me to do it, so I did it. There it is, a a nice snapshot, at least in the beginning. We have a couple of things to unpack before we close with it. But initially, it is a lovely, simple picture. Jesus speaks, we do. Jesus says to do something, we just do it. We just respond with a heart of obedience. We have come to find him to be fully trustworthy, fully reliable, and someone that we can easily say yes to. You see, for the religious leaders, their law was king. But for this transformed man, his new king was also his law. Did you you catch that? Not only was Jesus his king, the one who transformed him, but now the law of Christ had become his own law. And therefore, it transcends all other laws and rituals. When Jesus speaks, I do, no matter what's happening or what circumstance. Christian obedience recognizes that Jesus is... He's not only our source of life, but he's also our source of law. What he says goes, what what he commands we do. The beautiful thing is Jesus gives us the recipe from um, keeping us from allowing those laws of following Christ, those rules and principles to become dead religion. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So this obedience to Christ is not to become a great religious person, not to become such a great follower of ritual that it becomes empty and heartless, but rather it is driven, it it is full of a gas tank of love in return to the one who loved us even though we didn't deserve it. The one who gave his life an obedient response out of love. Carrying his old mat around was evidence that redemption and renewal are found in obeying Christ, found in trusting him completely. I do this because he said, not just any man, because he said, with a capital H, because he said to do it. Now, the world will not understand this. Even your own family may question you when you choose to obey Christ. Your friends may betray you. You will certainly find no support from the culture in obeying Jesus. But the mockery, the questioning, and the criticism, the being pushed aside, nothing can quench the heart of the one who has experienced life in the midst of death or being made whole in the midst of overwhelming brokenness. No. You don't abandon the one who gave you life. Just because obeying his law may stir up controversy. Amen? Following Jesus always matters most, period. The religious leaders, they press in for more answers in verse 12. Who is the man that told you to do this? But John tells us in verse 13 that the man did not know who it was. Jesus had withdrawn himself to the large crowds, But it would be important to note, as we see in verse 14, that Jesus was still working with intention. In verse 14, we we see that Jesus found the man in the temple. Uh, It's kind of easy to miss here, but do you see what's happened? Why would he, he have been in the temple on the Sabbath? Ah, I just love this. This paralyzed man without power or hope to change had experienced the mercy in the house of mercy, the mercy of Christ, and now he was having a direct and beautiful and proper response to being changed. He went to worship. He went to worship. To place worship on the very uh, character of God and his person, to give thanks and credit to the one who had done something he had come to believe wasn't even possible anymore. He went to worship. What a beautiful privilege to come every week together and to get to do that, to remember the one who has given us life. Jesus pulls him aside and says to him, you've been made well, sin no more, lest something worse comes upon you. You've been made whole, you've been forgiven, you've been healed, you've been changed This phrase that he says at the close of today's passage is is just as powerful as get up and walk. See to it that you sin no more. Because he does everything with intention, we have to pay attention to these words as well. Even Jesus recognizes human beings' propensity to return to our mats, to return to our sins and our old places and people and patterns even after meeting the Lord and experiencing such transformation. Perhaps it was sin in this man's past that had contributed to his infirmity or his hopeless mindset, or or perhaps Jesus was referring more to the misery that he knows comes from falling back into sinful ways after someone tastes new life. In the midst of this worship service that this man was a part of, he says, see that you don't forget this. Don't forget who did this for you. Just as you obeyed me with the mat, obey me and trust me with the remainder of your life. Turn from your sin. Don't go back. Don't go back. It'll only get worse. And so in verse 15, we're told that this made-whole, mat-carrying man becomes a living, breathing advertisement for what Jesus can do. He told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well, John tells us. No doubt now, no not knowing who he was, fully giving credit and testimony that it was Christ. This is God's desire uh, for any of us who have been made well, who have been made whole in Christ. Have you been made well? in Christ this morning? Have you experienced the wholeness that comes in knowing him? Then part, indeed, a huge part of your life is to not just go back to sit on your mat, but to allow your story and more importantly, your savior to be the one that your life becomes about. You talk about him. You give credit to him easily. It settles into the way you live the way you obey, the way you trust, being a walking billboard for the absolute reality that even in 2023, God still changes lives, still makes things new, still shows up when you don't have any strength or power to do anything and makes it all well. That's powerful. That's a beautiful beautiful mystery of the church, isn't it? We're all one big blended family. I just want to lovingly remind you, if, if you think the Lord doesn't care about families that have rough stories and maybe even are blended, you just need to read the scriptures again. The church is one big blended family. I am your adopted brother. You're my adopted brothers and sisters. We all have the same father. We have all different stories of how we got to that point where Jesus came into my life and into your life and met us beside the pool waiting for hope and an answer to show up. We may all different ways of how we got there, but the same Christ provided remedy for each and every one of us. And that beautiful uh, reminder tells us that still today, the broken, not perfect church made up of people like you and me is still God's best way of demonstrating to this hopeless world there is hope in Christ. There is still an answer. Even after you've tried everything for even 38 years, perhaps, there's still someone who can blow your mind and show you, indeed, that remedy is possible. And it won't just be for your physical needs, although that is incredibly important. Amen but it goes down to the depths of your downcast soul and meets your soul's deepest desire that you might indeed find life eternal. Life on this planet changed and transformed. So I guess uh, as we kind of circle around the last lap, I learned in many years, as I'm sure my brothers know, I try not to say in closing Try not to say in closing, because that implies maybe a minute left. There's more than a minute left, but, but not a ton left. But we're kind of coming around the lap. And if you're Deb or someone else who runs a lot, it'll be a quick lap. But I want to tell you, it's a lap as if I was running. So it means it's a real... It's going to happen eventually. I'll get to the finish line, but it's, it's a little bit longer. Because I don't, I don't run at all. I should. So I would just ask you, friends... Uh, what about you on this first Sunday morning of 2023? Now, I know, as, as Pastor Brenton alluded to, we've, we've probably got some diets planned and some, some resolutions all planned for me. One of them is leafy green vegetables. I have to eat more of those. Uh, just, I just have to. And it's not necessarily bad. It has its place, as Pastor Brent. That's, that's good. Um, but we wouldn't want to miss the deeper truth on this first Sunday in 2023, so, so my question is not necessarily, do you have resolutions or do you have your goals?" Um, uh, really, I would just ask you the same question that Jesus asked that, that I believe Jesus is indeed still asking today. He looks you in the eye, he looks me in the eye, and he asks, "Do you want to be made well?" Do you really, really want? to be made whole, to experience the wholeness that I can offer. Now, the outside is certainly important, but the inner workings of the heart are the priority here. Do you really want to be made well in Christ? As we know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And the reason I had you repeat that word immediately is because that is part of what the Holy Spirit does in us, in the power of Christ, when we place our trust in him, indeed immediately we are made a new creation. But as we all know, there's also a process to be being made new. So I'm leaning towards that process as I believe I'm speaking primarily to a group here today that know the Lord. Will you cooperate in 2023 even more with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as he moves you towards wholeness? There are some things in receiving wholeness and finding wholeness in Christ that you must learn to say yes to and some other things you must learn to say no to Jesus knows you intimately. He was present at creation. He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you cry. He knows what makes you laugh. He knows what it is you're passionate about. He knows some of the brokenness and the woundedness that may indeed cause you to trip up. And with that absolute honesty, he says, are you ready to cooperate with me in allowing you to be made whole? Take note of this from today's passage. It is possible to sit near wholeness and to sit very close to remedy for years and years, but still not enter in. It can even happen in a house of mercy, a house of mercy like this one. Jesus makes it clear today that only he can bring the remedy. And the wholeness that our souls long for. Yes, indeed, he forgives us of our sins. But I want to encourage you and just remind you today, church, there's so much more that Christ offers. Our shame, our fears, our wounds, our habits, our patterns, our tendencies, all covered and redeemed by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Maybe you've been coming to church for years. Maybe you've even received Christ, and you know that you're forgiven. You know that you're adopted. Amen. You were an orphan. Now you're a son or a daughter of God, but you still have not welcomed him into your lifeless marriage. You still haven't trusted him as the remedy for the answer that you need to deal with your anger that is affecting all your relationships. You know Jesus, but you're still paralyzed in a cycle of sin and shame. Maybe it's a sin that you keep going back to for years and years, or maybe it's a sin you can't forget that years ago happened, and it still is hard for you to lift your head out of the shame. Do you want to be made well? Do you really want to be made whole? Then then please, my friend, stop. Stop selling Jesus short. He didn't die on the cross to purchase your life and mine just so we could be forgiven and then sit back down on our mats and relax by the pool back into our old ways. He came to set us free, to give us full life, to crush the power of sin and shame, to redeem even the darkest and most desperate chapters of our life stories. He's not afraid of the dirt. The Christmas month focus of the coming of the divine beautifully reminded us of that. He comes to where we are, and then he is faithful to go all the way through to the end and face the cross. He's stronger than any addiction. Amen? I'll say that again. He's stronger than any addiction. Amen? He really is. He can reveal why you gossip so much or why, as his son or daughter, you still live in fear, controls you, why you tend to be judgmental, even though you don't know the whole story. And in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he can set you free from those things that paralyze you. He loves us enough to call us out on our mats to meet us in those sacred and terrifying moments where we have to be absolutely authentic and nothing more. I am without power and hope to do anything. I fall upon the mercies of Christ completely. And then he doesn't leave us there as he calls us out on the map. He provides and shows us the way forward. He knows what has paralyzed you and what has paralyzed me in the past. He knows what may still paralyze you today or may paralyze me today. And he alone can make us well. It really is not just a cute saying. It's not just a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Christ is the answer for everything we face in the human condition and the human journey. Oh yes, forgiveness, absolutely but oh, so much more in the work of making us whole and restoring us to the image of God and and making us holy and setting us apart for His use. It's not easy work, is it, when we get honest? Oh, it can be scary to get honest. The Lord's faithful. He'll keep coming back and And the Holy Spirit will keep knocking. Are you ready to change this yet? I've been showing you some things. Are you ready to be free? This has to go. This has to be conquered. Are you ready? Sometimes he might take you back a little bit. I can tell you in my life, the forgiveness towards my dad was one of the most powerful mountains I had to tunnel through. I couldn't go around it. I couldn't just jump over it. I couldn't go in the opposite direction Holy Spirit kept coming back, son, I've got to take you through this. This is why it affects certain things that you do. You you know that tendency where you, you just are paralyzed by what people think of you, so you're always wanting to do the best, the best, the best, the best, the best, and you can't sleep? Part of that is rooted right here. Are you ready to surrender it? See, it's not easy to get authentic. It can be terrifying. Amen? It's very easy to ignore. I just want to share with you this first Sunday of 2023. In Christ, you have been made whole. That's the first thing that happened. You can read it again in the passage. And immediately he was made well. Then he did what? He picked up his mat and he walked. Um, Brothers and sisters, I just want to share with you, you've been made well in Christ. It's time to pick up your mat. It's time to pick up your mat and move forward. I don't believe that man walked around for the rest of his life carrying his mat. In today's world, he'd probably be lined up to speak at churches on Friday nights. Come meet the mat man. Come and see what he's done. This is the actual mat, 38 years. I don't think that occurred, but at least, at least for that Sabbath day, it was right there. I have a feeling... The scent of it, the feel of it, the reminder of it was always fresh on his heart as an opportunity to remember the undeserved favor and incredible mercy of Jesus that had been shown. That's who I used to be, but but this is who I am now. Uh, Your mat might look different than my mat. The thing about mats is they're very, very comfortable. They really are. And even after we've tasted freedom in Christ, if we're not careful it can be very possible to lay our mat back down and go right back to it. We like to nurture our mats. Well, this is just the way I was brought up. This is just who I am. My mother was like this. My dad was like this. This is just who I am. Well, you don't understand the pain I've been through or, or you're just not, you don't understand the pressure I'm under. And we nurture our mats and we take care of them. And some of our mats are very beautiful to look at. Some of them are obviously very messy, but others are very polished and we just lay back down. It's easier to stay on the mat. I know. I get that. But I want to encourage you in Christ for 2023. It's time. Pick up your mat and walk. Maybe you need to seek some counsel. Oh, don't worry. I'm not talking about human-oriented counsel with with self-help and Empty stuff like that. Read the book of Proverbs and see how often it tells us seek the counsel, seek godly counsel of those who know God. Seek trusted counsel, counselors who base their counsel on the word of God and nothing else. Seek them, find them. God raises up people and calls them to that ministry and he does beautiful work. Maybe it's time to make a phone call, have a conversation with somebody that you might be able to move past that anger or that shame or that pattern. That keeps showing up. Don't lay back down on your mat. It's hard work, but it is cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit. And you will actually find, if you can have courage for about five minutes, you will actually find that the the Lord can be trusted that His burden is light. It's actually much more heavier to keep carrying your mat around and going back to it and going back to it. Psalm 42 was read for us so beautifully. The subtitle of the psalm is yearning for God in times of great distress. David was a man who had learned um, what it meant to trust God. He had also learned by first experience, what it meant to be a miserable failure. <clears throat> and then to come back and leave the temptation to stay on that mat of shame and and brokenness and come forward. He's the one who uses this powerful imagery of a deer that pants for water and soul thirsting for God and describes his tears as being so heavy that they actually speak to him. Where's your God now? All you do is sit here in distress and sadness. I like the authenticity he shows, and I close with this. He asks his own soul this question. This is just a simple, good illustration of how a person who is in Christ can begin to practice good counsel even within their own soul. Soul, why are you so downcast? Why is your countenance so troubled? Get honest with God. Well, it's because I'm angry or I'm afraid or I feel looked over or whatever it may be. I love the authentic prayer that David closes with, and he says says it twice twice in the passage in Psalm 42. Put, oh soul, put your hope in God. It, It is okay to be honest and authentic, to find out what's going on. But you don't have to live there any longer. Put your hope in God and begin to move forward. It will literally change your soul outlook and change your countenance. It'll be written on your face in the way you live. I just would ask you to please stand as we close in prayer. And um, if possible, those uh, elders who are available and those on the prayer team, if you would just, just be in place. It was an honor to share with you a little time in God's word today. I pray that somehow uh, the Lord was able to speak to you to encourage you in this that there is a wholeness work of God that he wants to do in your life. Um, Fully surrendered. Nothing held back. No more going back to your mat and trusting him completely. Um, If you would like to, uh, I would like you to invite you to, to come and to pray with a brother or sister in Christ. Um, share as little or as much as you'd like to share. Um, but I pray that this could be a time that we, uh, we start the new year off on a right, right path. Amen. Come with your questions. I'm excited for this new series. Know that it comes from one who knows how to ask the right questions. Do you want to be made well? Jesus is indeed your answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, It's an honor to be in your presence. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, in the terrifying moments uh, where it comes, where we're called out on the mat, that we would know you meet us there, you don't forsake us. I thank you in my own life that I had Brothers that loved me enough to call me out on the mat, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've allowed me at times to just be there in a sacred time where it was me helping someone else to get honest. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to pick up our mats and walk with you in 2023 to be set free from things perhaps that have been hindering us for quite a while thank you that you offer freedom and true life and we can move forward. I pray, Father, that if anyone here is uh, paralyzed in any way, that in the name of Jesus, you would set them free. That they would know that you can handle the hurt, you can handle the truth and the honesty, you, you can show up in the worst of darkness and still provide remedy. You can find us. Help us to put our soul's hope in God, and to pick up our mat and walk with you. We love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name, and together we all said amen and amen. Would you shake someone's hand, say happy new year. God bless. Hope that you have a great day today.